All right, so as, as I mentioned, I was, I was away for seven weeks on a sabbatical, and many of you have asked me um, how that seven-week sabbatical was, how was the seven weeks, and some of you have asked, well, how was seven weeks of vacation? Um, and I, so I put some thought into that, and the best that I could come up with was, it was awesome. <laughs> now, I will say this, it was not seven weeks of full-on vacation, but uh, I did a lot of, of work, just me and the Lord. And as a pastor, one of the things that if you don't get to do ministry like this, where you're up here and you have to communicate on a regular basis, one of the things that can start to happen in your relationship with God is as you're seeking him, you're studying his word, you're learning things, you're always thinking, how do I relay that to people? How do I communicate that with others? So the beauty of this seven-week sabbatical for me was I was able to just spend some time, me and the Lord, and not have to feel like I have to communicate it, that I could hear from him and it could be personal for me and that I could uh, just take that in and not have to share it necessarily uh, with others. Uh, the other thing I would say is seven years of ministry can really wear on you uh, if you don't get the chance to walk with people uh, as a pastor, you carry the burdens of others. As you get the privilege of walking with others, you carry those burdens. And that can be a heavy weight after time. So Aaron and I are just immensely thankful for a leadership here that would give us time, uh, that is concerned about my health, not only my health, but the health of our family uh, and us as a couple in our marriage. And so uh, I just am eternally thankful and grateful for that time and just thank you to all of you and I know that it put a stress on some others some volunteers and some things like that and so uh, just tremendously thankful uh, you didn't come here though to listen to me talk about my last seven weeks if you want to talk about that we can we can chat privately uh, but there is some work to be done here this morning and so I want to dive in and one of the books that I read during my sabbatical, I, I only got halfway through it because if you've ever read Tim Keller, he's a bit of a tough read and uh, he, he writes at a pretty high level. And so it just has taken some time to process. But uh, he wrote a book on prayer uh, over this past year. It just came out, I believe, last year. And so I've been reading that and it has challenged me personally and my prayer life immensely. And the song that we just sung on, about the Holy Spirit and experiencing God's presence and, and feeling his presence uh, is something that this book challenges, uh, challenges you, the reader, and me uh, as a reader on. And so what I want to do before we jump into the message, and I want to try to make a practice out of this, is just uh, spending some time to pray uh, together before we get started. So if you wouldn't mind, let's just, let's just pray together and ask for God to speak to us this morning. Father God, I, I just uh, am in all of you and your goodness. And, and Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just rain down your Holy Spirit on us this morning. Uh, that all of the little things of life that we get caught up in and we seek after, uh, God, that those things would fade away this morning as we, we seek you. Uh, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would speak to our hearts, that we would long for your glory. That we would long to see the kingdom of God come. And that would be on our hearts this morning. So that's what I pray. As we study the book of Proverbs and uh, the things that we can do with our tongue, Father, I pray that you would uh, bring conviction where con conviction needs to be brought. Uh, and Lord, that you would help us to see the opportunities where, where we can be uh, healers to others by the words that we say. And I pray these things in the great uh, name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's see if I remember how to do this. I hope that preaching is like riding a bike that I haven't forgotten. But I wanted to start with this question. 
what if I what if I told you that each one of you are in possession of a deadly weapon this morning? What if I told you that each one of you is in possession of a deadly weapon? Now, for some of you, that thought might be appalling. You might be kind of shocked or a bit nervous or offended that I might suggest that you would carry a weapon that could inflict mortal wounds on someone else. For others of you, you might be excited by that thought. Others of you might be wondering, well, now, how did he know that I was packing heat this morning? I'm not talking about your concealed firearm. I'm actually talking about your tongue. And most of us, from the time we were little, we were taught this uh, little rhyme, or it doesn't really rhyme, but this little saying, uh, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, in our culture today, in our politically correct world, I'm not sure that you're allowed to say that anymore or that we think that way anymore, but I think there's reason for that. Because I want to ask you this morning, do you really believe that? Is that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is that actually true? It's not. Because I'm going to take a guess, because me personally, I've been hurt by the words of others throughout my life. And I'm going to take a guess that every person in this room, at one point or another, has been hurt by the words that have come out of someone else's mouth. You know, maybe it, was, maybe it was when you were younger. Maybe it was when you were growing up in, in grade school, elementary school, junior high, and you were going through some transitional periods in your life, and people saw weaknesses in you, and they mocked you. I've told, this, I've told you this before, that when I was in elementary school, my, my nickname was Marshmallow, okay? Because I was a bit of a husky kid, all right? And some of the girls in my elementary school, I don't know if they thought I was soft and fluffy or what, but they, they decided that this was going to be my nickname. And so they called me that and I went along with it, but I didn't necessarily like it. You know, I still think about it today. It's not like it has marked my life that immensely, but it has challenged me some in the, in the things that I eat. And I, it's, I think about it, it's there. So maybe it was at that time in your life. Maybe it was a sibling who you didn't get along with and said some things to you that were, was immensely hurtful and, and has hurt you since. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a spouse. You know, oftentimes I don't think that it is the hatred that gets spewed out on social media. In our world today, we have this thing, online bullying, and, and people are just ruthless. If you read the comments sections ever in, uh, like on a news article or, or somewhere else, people are ruthless online. And I believe that they say things that they would never say to your face, but behind the protection of a screen, they feel like it's okay to say it. And those things can hurt us. And I don't want to downplay that. I don't want to downplay those of you who have been hurt by things that have happened online, because it does happen, of course. But I, th- I would suggest that the deeper wounds, the wounds that hurt us or cut us the deepest, come from the people that we love the most. The people that we respect the highest, the people that we want to be close with, those words that come from their mouths that may cut us down, hurt us the deepest. Now for me personally, I would say I am grateful and thankful that my spirit has not been crushed. The list of blows that come from those loved ones of mine, has not, it doesn't run long like perhaps it does for some of you. 
but I have experienced it. And I'm able to sympathize with those who've been hurt by the mouths of others. Now, God is our loving creator, right? He's designed us. He's created us. He's made us with a purpose. He's given us breath in our lungs and he's given us a mouth and a tongue to speak. And so he has a design for us. He has a purpose for that. So think about this. This is a big picture. God has given you a voice for a reason. There's things that you can speak into the lives of others that can make a difference in their lives, either for positive or for negative. And I'm going to uh, suggest to you this morning that God has given you that voice for a positive difference in the lives of those that you are close with. And Scripture is going to point us there. So we're going to jump into Scripture uh, in a minute here. And we're going to look at the words uh, because no, no book of the Bible speaks more about the tongue and its effects than the book of Proverbs. Now, we've been going through this uh, series. I should say you've been going through this series as I haven't been here. here. I caught up online, so I know some of what Pastor Adam has been sharing uh, with you through this series. And he's been talking about wisdom. And Solomon, who is David's son, those of you, even if you don't have a, a deep wide church background. Most of us know who David is, David and Goliath, all right? Well, David grew up. He became the king of Israel. He had a son. His name was Solomon. And Solomon asked this great question. He had this moment with God that was kind of the genie in the bottle moment that all of us maybe long for, but Solomon got it. And God said, what is it that you would request? And Solomon, in a moment of brilliance, says, Give me, he doesn't ask for kingdoms. He doesn't ask for stuff. He says, give me wisdom to rule your people. And God was just blessed by that. And of course, so Solomon becomes the wisest person to ever walk the face of the earth. It doesn't mean that he's the smartest. In this room, there is a great amount of intelligence. Some of you are extremely smart, way smarter than I am. But just because you're smart doesn't mean you're wise. Wisdom is this, and this is what Pastor Adam has been using. He says that it's skillful living. It's the ability to take, uh, it's ability to take the knowledge that you have and not only know something, but then to live it out. So that's what wisdom is. All right. So the passage that we're going to talk about, focus on, and there's going to be a lot of them. I'm going to list a bunch of them here for you. But I think kind of the one to set the table for us this morning is this. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And it says this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So I told you, you have power to speak either death and destruction into the lives of those around you. Or you have the power of life in your tongue. And then he goes on to say, and those who love it will eat its fruits. I think that just basically means that you reap what you sow. Those who love to speak all the time. There's another Proverbs that says, uh, where uh, words are many, sin is not absent. All right. When we like to talk a lot, it can often lead us down a road that is not so great. We'll go into that more uh, a bit later. So have you experienced this? Have you experienced this verse? Have you been on the other end of those remarks that have affected you emotionally way more than you thought they could? Maybe, perhaps, you've been the one 
to speak death into somebody else's life. And can you take yourself there for a minute, that moment when you remember speaking to somebody and you can actually see it. It's like arrows coming out of your mouth and they're finding their mark and they're crushing somebody else. I can remember uh, back in uh, my high school days when I was much more uh, loose with my tongue and I said things that just... I'm ashamed of to this day, but I can remember uh, being in a very intense volleyball game with a friend of mine and two other girls, uh, one of whom happened to be my girlfriend. And so it was the two guys and two girls playing beach volleyball uh, down in, uh, if you've ever been to Bethany Beach, you know that they have these two volleyball courts that are kind of out on the main street there. So they're out in public. And I can remember losing that game to these two girls and not appreciating that very much. And, and she was rubbing it in my face a little bit. And I can remember the words coming out of my mouth and just landing on her. And I could see it. I could see the tears welling up in her eyes. And I was not thinking about who was around me, what little kids were hearing what I was saying. And I can remember that moment. Can any of you remember a moment where you just, you landed a blow? Maybe it was on the way to church this morning. Maybe it was last night in an argument with your spouse, but you can see the tears well up and you know, and maybe at that moment you're so angry you don't care. Or maybe you think, well, they deserved it. But the the truth in this verse, I think, can, can be staggering if we can just take a second and think about it. So Solomon builds on this. I'm going to give you some more. I'm going to kind of build the case for you here. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Now, there's a key that I want to share with you here. When you think of the word perverse, you automatically or I automatically think of uh, it, it goes to like a sexual connotation. We think of the word pervert. Right. You think of pornography, uh, a pervert, somebody who is perverse. And while that's true. The, the word actually pervert actually means to take something out of context, to use it in an incorrect way, to use improperly. If you pervert something, you're using it in a way that it was not intended for. Thus, that's why when we look at the, a word like pornography, sex wasn't designed for that, and you're using it in a perverse way, an incorrect way. So now the tongue, that the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue, a person who uses their tongue in an incorrect way, who speaks words we ought not to speak with malice in our hearts, we're using the tongue in a way that God did not design it. It's not the way we're supposed to use it. I'll give you another one. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. Now, in the New Living Translation, the translation that you'll find in the pew there, it uses the words of the godly. Now, if you were to look at the ESV or the NASB different translation, what you would find here is the word, the words of the righteous. Now, I just want you to keep that in the back of your mind because we'll come back to that at the very end. But I think it's an important transition there that we understand what that word is getting at. So the, the words of the righteous are a living Life-giving fountain and the words of the wicked conceal violent intentions. We're going to keep going. This is going to get overwhelming. And I, I'm not even going to share them all with you, but we're going, to, we're going to keep building here. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 32. The lips of the godly, again, that word would be righteous, speak helpful words. 
But the mouth of the wicked speaks perverse words. Again, words that we ought not to speak. Final one. With their words, the godless destroy their friends. But knowledge will rescue the righteous. So I want you to note note the contrast here. Note the contrast in those verses. And here's what the contrast is. That the, the healing tongue or the the, the tongue of the righteous brings healing and life, all right? The tongue contains both the power of life and death. And the question for us that we need to face this morning is how will we use it? How will we use the tongue that God has given us, the breath that God's put in our lungs? How are you going to use it? So we started out, and I started building the case from the negative side. Those of you who have been hurt by the words of others or those of you who have spoken words that would hurt others. And I want to take a second to contrast those with, have you ever been on the receiving end of someone speaking life into you? Can you think through the days of your life, maybe this past week, this past month, this past year? When's the last time that someone spoke life into you and encouraged you? I can remember specific conversations of people that I looked up to, to mentors coming to me and saying things that made a huge difference in my life and spoke life into me. It was like breathing, I think of it like a balloon. It was like breathing air into a balloon and bringing it, all right, to life. I can remember back when I was uh, in my high school days, I, I love sports, uh, just yesterday, I got to play, and I got invited to play in a softball tournament. If if the game uh, has a ball in it, I usually like it. Soccer, eh? Sorry for those of you who like soccer. I'm kind of on the fence about that one. I could play it, but I don't necessarily like watching it. But most games that have a ball in it, I love the game. All right. The one that I never understood in high school was track, because the only ball is like this big heavy ball that you throw into a sand pit. And that didn't seem like a lot of fun to me. But I never really understood it because I enjoy running when I'm chasing someone or chasing something or running away from someone. But I don't necessarily like running just for the fun of it or to be clocked on a timer. And I guess that's because I'm not really that fast. So that's why I don't like it. But I did my sophomore year in high school, I did one year of winter track. And the only reason I did it was because I felt like I was too slow in football And I was told that if I ran winter track, that it would make me faster. So I thought, well, I guess the ends justify the means. And so I will do this brutal sport called track, and I will will do my best. But one of the things I love about track, for those of you who ran track or run track or in cross country, I think you'll be able to relate to this, is that the encouragement that I see in that sport is different than any other. Because I've been to track meets and I've seen those people that are running like, you know, they're running a mile, all right? And they're, they're, they could be the eighth person. Like seven other people have finished. And the, the, the team, the rest of the team is cheering on. They're like some people walk with them, they'll run with them. Like, come on, you can do it. And this person's like a minute behind everybody else, but they're still cheering them on. Now, maybe that was only true as I reflected on this. I went to Garden Spot High School and the track coach there for years there was really great. He was a good coach. And so maybe that's only true there. And it was just something that he had taught the team to do. But it stood out to me and I noticed it. And it made a difference in those that were running the race to get that encouragement, even if they were in last place. 
So I think about that with us as we're running this race called life. Who's in our corner? Who's speaking life into us? Who's encouraging us? And I'm not talking about like unrealistic, flowery, flowery words that don't really hit home. But I'm talking about genuine encouragement. Now for me, at times I find it really difficult to encourage other people. And I've thought about this for some time in my life. Why is it hard? Why is it hard for me to encourage others? And I'll give you an example of what I'm thinking about. For some of you as, as men, and I'll speak to the men in the room for a second, I am really encouraged by the way that you are loving your spouse, by the way that you're raising your family, by the way that you volunteer for in your community, by what you do in the church, by the time that you give, the people that you care for. You are people that are building You're you're builders into life. You're not takers. But how often do I walk up to somebody and say, hey, this is how I feel. You really encourage me. You're doing a great job at this. And I wanted to let you know. And sometimes when that happens to me, when I think about walking up to that person and saying that, do you know what the voice is that I get in my head? Don't do that. That's going to be awkward. It's just going to be awkward for you to talk to another guy like that. But why is it that way? It shouldn't. It shouldn't be that hard. Why is it easier, uh, easier for us to say the things that are mean, cutting, pulling down, than it is for us to say encouraging words? I think that there's some work that we need to do here. I think that there's some some challenges that God has for us that I think will draw us out of that. And he's been working on me in it. And I pray that he works on all of us in this area. So I think that Jesus gives us the key. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 45. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find a Bible in the pews. Uh, And we'll be on page 857. If you don't own one, take that Bible with you. Uh, You can call that yours. We'd love for you to have it um, and use it. So Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Jesus gives us a clue into our hearts Jesus says this, verse 45, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. All of us want to be good people. All of us, I I think 90% of us feel like we are good people. But an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So what you say flows from what is in your heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. What Jesus just reveals here is he makes a connection for us. And he says, what comes out of your mouth is connected to what's in your heart. So the desires and the attitudes of your heart is going to be reflected in the way you speak to others. So think through your life, think through this past week, what are the things that I said to others? Did I say things that was soothing to them, that was encouraging to them? Even if it was difficult stuff, but it was stuff to benefit them. Or was it stuff that I said that was malicious, hurtful, 
cutting. And what Jesus reveals here is he says, this is what's in your heart, folks. And your, your mouth is an example. It's, it's showing you. It's putting a magnifying glass on your heart and showing what's deep inside. Words hold the power of life and death. And because they originate in the heart of another person, they reflect how they f- people feel about us. I think that this is why the words of those that are closest to us can hurt us the deepest. Because they're not just empty words. They're not just something that's here and then gone. They actually reflect the way another person feels about us or perceives us. And that's why it can hurt so much. Have you ever heard a person say this, say something really mean to you and then say, oh, I'm sorry that I said that. I didn't mean to say it that way. What they should actually be saying is, I'm sorry that I said what I was thinking out loud. I didn't want you to hear that. I was thinking that, but I didn't want you to hear that. Because it was on our hearts, it was in there, and it came out. And so this is the connection that I think most of us are afraid to make, is that, that what is linked, that link that Jesus gives us, that our hearts and our words are connected, and we can't get away from them. As well, I would add, in a social media world, nobody wants to hear this, but what you post online is connected to your heart, it's coming out for a reason, right? You can't just write things out there and then say, well, I didn't mean that or that. It was connected to a thought. It was connected to an attitude of your heart. So, I believe that Jesus points this out not to condemn us, not to shame us, not to guilt us, because Jesus loves us and he said that he has come to redeem us and save us. And so why Jesus points this out is because he wants to give us new hearts. He wants to give us hearts that speak life into those around us and others. So what I want to do here for the end of this message as as we uh, start to wrap it up, kind of. uh, It'll be longer than five minutes for those of you who are just hopeful that that's what that meant. But... Here's what the foolish and the careless person and the wicked do with their words. And Proverbs points this out. Uh, As I studied this uh, this week, um, I was amazed at what came out of Proverbs. Because what Proverbs kind of does is it it kind of, Solomon kind of lays on. Here's what the foolish person says. Here's what the wicked person says. Here's what's going to come out of the hearts of those who have an evil heart, as Luke points out. And so I want to look at these and then we'll contrast it with, with the life-giving heart. And then we'll talk about how to, how to have a new heart. So gossip, pride, lying, flattery, poor counsel, and perverse talk. These are the ones, the six that, that uh, Proverbs points out that comes out of the mouths of the foolish uh, or the wicked. And what I realized about this as I put this list together is every single one of these has an element of self-preservation, self-preservation or self-exaltation. So in other words, I'm either trying to protect myself from you thinking poorly of me, which is mainly lying, 
or self-exaltation. I'm trying to lift myself up. Look at who I am. Pride, gossip, flattery, even poor counsel could probably be put in there. You're saying things to benefit yourself. So let's look at them a little deeper. And I've been, I have been found guilty of every single one of these. So don't think that I'm speaking uh, out of turn or I'm pointing my finger at you because by God's grace, I've been forgiven of each one of these, but I'm sure I've been guilty of each at some time in my life. So we'll start with gossip. Gossip, Proverbs 25, 23. And as surely as the north wind brings rain, so a gossiping tongue causes anger. Proverbs 26, 22. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep. And where do they go? They sink deep, sink deep down into one's heart. They sink deep. They sink deep down into the heart. They cause anger. Well, why do we gossip? Think about it for a second. Why, why is it that when we hear some kind of information about somebody else that I want to go out and share that with someone? The best answer I can come up with is because in some way, and I've been guilty of this, in some way it makes me feel good that at least I'm not like them. At least I'm not like, did you hear what they did? Can you believe they did that? I would never do that. It makes us feel good in some way to have some kind of information that other people don't have. And we want to share it, but it's not always something that needs to be shared. And oftentimes, as it says, it will cause anger in the hearts of those that you're gossiping about. And if you've ever been gossiped about, just flip the script, you know it doesn't feel good to have people talking in a negative way about you. Next one, pride. The wise don't make a show of their knowledge. The wise don't make a show of their knowledge. The prideful person wants you to know how much they know. Probably some of you know those, those folks. Maybe they're in your families. They share a lot about what they know. But fools broadcast their foolishness. Proverbs 27.2, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. I'll share a little side note on this, this one here, and I'll give you a little something that Aaron and I do in parenting is we challenge our kids with this one because kids are often ones that want to come and they want to tell you about stuff and they want to tell you about their accomplishments. And it's really cute when they're like four or five, they're like, check out the, the drawing I did, dad. Like, look at it. Isn't it awesome? Yeah, it's a dinosaur. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that's what it was, but good. And it's cute at that age. But when they get to be like 13 and they're like, did you see how awesome I was in that game? Can you believe nobody else? I mean, I scored all the points. It gets to be a little concerning, right? A little annoying, maybe. You can all think of the superstars in our culture that speak with their own words and they praise themselves. Well, one of the things that Aaron and I have done, uh, and this actually comes from uh, Tim Tebow's book, and this is something his parents did with him, uh, was that we will actually reward our kids when others speak highly of them and not themselves. Now, we don't do it all the time, but there's times when we'll be out in public and people will come to us and they'll say, you have six kids. I can't believe they behaved like that. And I look at them and say, I can't believe they did either, but... It was a rare time. Something was wrong. I don't know. But when that happens, 
When that happens, we will reward them. And when you have six kids, it can't be a big reward. You know, maybe it's a piece of candy or something like that. But we'll just try to make a big deal out of the fact that others noticed them and they weren't praising themselves. So just something to, to share there as a side note. All right, next, lying. And this is a big one. And it's especially a big one because of the way Solomon puts an emphasis on it here. There are six things the Lord hates. I love that, that okay, God, God writes the scriptures through the authors. All right, this is so cool to me that he uses the personal aspects of the authors. And no more do you ever see it come out than in like stuff like this. And it happens in scripture every once in a while. So I can picture Solomon writing this down and he's like, all right, there's six things that the Lord hates. No, 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 wait, there's seven things. Now, did that come from the Holy Spirit? Did the Holy Spirit not know that there were seven things that the Lord detests? But it's Solomon's own personal uh, struggle here. And so he writes and he says, no, there's seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness, again, lying, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Now, those are extra important because Solomon points out that God detests it. When we do those things, it does not draw us closer to God. It does not draw us closer to God when we are lying, when we're deceiving, when we're giving false testimony. There's some more verses here. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in those who tell the truth. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering word causes ruin. That one goes into the next one, flattery. But before we jump there, I wanted to show you a little video as we talk a little bit about lying. Uh, I wanted to give you a good example of this and uh, just show you something a little lighthearted, uh, and then we'll talk about it. Did you put that marker in your mouth? What? Did you put anything in your mouth? Oh, yeah. His lips Can are... you smile? But you, you didn't put that marker in your mouth? Well, that's really crazy because your mouth is all blue. Are you lying to me? Just wait. Well, why do you think your mouth is all blue? I don't know. He always says that. Now tell me the truth. Did you put that marker in your mouth? So for those of you who don't know, that's one of my little guys. That's Ben. Uh, he's seven now. I think he was about two and a half or three in that video. Um, I love how he was like, get the paparazzi out of my face. Like, get the, get the, get the camera out of here. I want to talk about it. Uh, but the reason I point that out or I showed that video, and he did give me his blessing to show that. But I point that out because what, what is in little Ben's heart there? It's to not be caught, not be found out. And he's going to do everything he can, even though the evidence is right there on his face, to say, I, I, didn't, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't do it. And what is that at the core? It's self-preservation. I want you to have an opinion of me that is higher than what it ought to be. Right? A higher opinion than what it ought to be, because in that moment, I am guilty as charged. 
And so whether you're 3 or you're 33 or 53 or 73, lying all comes back to the same root. And it is, I'm lying because I want to benefit myself. I want you to think differently than what the truth or the reality actually is. And I believe that that's why God detests it. Because at the root of it, there is a pride that says, I cannot be vulnerable. I have to be my own God or my own king. And I don't want you to know the weaknesses are here. And so in pride, we lie. So let's move on. We've got a couple more. Flattery. Proverbs 29, verse 5. To flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. I think when we speak words that are untrue, When we flatter someone, it's often to benefit us because we think, well, what can we get from that person? And I want to flatter them or I want to say things that aren't reality. It's often to benefit us in some way. Poor counsel is the next one. Poor counsel. The plans of the godly are just and the advice of the wicked is treacherous. The advice of the wicked is treacherous. Uh, while I was on my sabbatical, I, I read through the books of First and Second Kings, which is an Old Testament uh, passage, uh, and it's about really the establishment of the nation of Israel. I want to read something to you this morning. You don't have to turn there. I'll give you the passage of First Kings chapter twelve, and I wasn't going to do that, but as I was getting ready this morning, I felt led uh, to share this passage with you. And if you want to read it again, First Kings chapter twelve. But this is so huge. Uh, when it comes to poor counsel, and the advice of the wicked is treacherous. All right, listen to what happens here. And of all people, what's about to happen, this is Solomon's son. Solomon, the one who rode on all this wisdom, turned away from the Lord at the end of his life, and it caused a great amount of disaster, and no more so than in his son Rehoboam. All right, and this is what happens to Rehoboam. As Rehoboam's about to take over the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, it says this in 1 Kings chapter 12. Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had to gather to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard master, they said. Lighten the harsh labor labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, and then we will be your loyal subjects. So in other words, Solomon at the end of his life was very difficult to get along with. He was a harsh king, and the people are crying out to his son Rehoboam and saying, please, lighten the load. Rehoboam replied, give me three days to think this over. Wisdom. He doesn't make a snap decision. Give me three days to think this over. Then I will come back with my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. This again is a wise decision. I will go to those that were counselors for my father and I will see what they have to say. And he said to them, what is your advice? He asked, how should I answer these people? And the older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the young men he had grown up with and who were his advisors now. So he goes to his boys, his posse, and he says, well, what do you guys think I ought to do? And think about what's vested for these young men. 
The stronger King's, King Rehoboam is, the more money he has, the more influence he has, the more they benefit, right? Or so they think. So he goes to them and says, well, what, what should I do? How should I respond to them? So the young man replied in verse 10, this is what you should tell you, those complainers who want a light burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yet my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. So three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to the people, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. So the king paid no attention to the people. This turn of events was the will of the Lord, for it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the prophet Ajiah from Shiloh. When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, Down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So the people of Israel returned home, but Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the town of Judah. King Rehoboam sent Adoniram, who was in charge of the labor force, to restore order. But the people of Israel stoned him to death. When this news reached King Rehoboam, he quickly jumped in his chariot and fled to Jerusalem. And to to this day, listen to the implications of this. To this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. Rehoboam taking poor counsel from his friends led to the division of Israel. And only one tribe, Judah, ever followed David's line again. Those are huge implications when you think about that. The advice of the wicked is treacherous. So who are you listening to? Who is your counsel coming from? Are there people that are older, wiser, have been through it? Are you going to them and are you sitting at their feet and saying, what would you tell me to do? I'm in a situation here where I don't know. Can you help me? Or are you going to those that are in the same exact position that might even benefit from your decision that would give you poor counsel. Poor, poor counsel comes from the mouths of fools. Perverse talk. The last one. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk and stay away from corrupt speech. Solomon tells us here to guard our heart above all else. Well, why does he say that? Well, Jesus points to that. Out of your heart, your mouth speaks. If we are not guarding our heart, if we are not protecting our mind, our will, and our emotions, and we're not seeking the Lord on those things and not protecting, what will end up happening is it will lead us into corrupt talk, perverse talk, things that ought not to be. So guard your heart because it determines the course of your life. So, in closing, how do I get a good heart? How do I get a heart that seeks the Lord? How do I have a heart that is after God? How do I speak words that are life-giving? Because we've gone through the warnings in Proverbs that tells us what the fool speaks. And I don't think there's one person in this room that wants to be a fool. Not one person in this room that wants to have a wicked heart. So we ask the question, well, what do we do? And here's the simple answer. 
It's simple and yet challenging at the same time. We come to God and we say, I, I submit, God. I confess to you that I am a sinner and I am need your mercy every single day in my life. Father, guard my heart and protect me. Keep me from being a fool. And in his grace and through the death and the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection and the power of his resurrection, he will give us a new heart. He will bless us. He will put us on a path where we can speak righteousness. And this is what comes out to me. Jesus will change the way that we think about ourselves. I said to you in the beginning that, or as we were talking about Proverbs, that where it lists the words of the godly, and I said the righteous is important. Here's why. Because Jesus gives us his righteousness. When I trust in Jesus, when I put my faith in Jesus, he makes me right before God. He is the one who makes me right before God. He puts me in right standing with God. And so when I am righteous, because of what Jesus has done, not because of what Chris has done, but because of what Jesus has done, now there is no need for me to exalt myself. I don't have to justify myself before you because I've been justified before Jesus. When I screw up and blow it, I don't have to lie to cover it up because I've been justified by Jesus. I don't have to gossip. I don't have to speak out pridefully. Why? Because I have the righteousness of Christ. It's pointless for me to exalt myself. What does Jesus say during his ministry? He says, if you would deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Then you can be my disciples. Then you can be my followers. Well, I got to deny myself. And so much of our words that are hurtful, that are negative, that cause damage, are done to protect myself or to exalt myself. But when I deny myself and I take up my cross and I put full faith in Jesus Christ, I no longer have to exalt myself or justify myself because Jesus has done those things for me. And so my challenge to us this morning as I close is this, that we can be, that we can be what this verse calls us to be. The words of the godly, the words of the righteous are like sterling silver. What does that mean? It means they have worth, they have value, but the heart of the fool is worthless. And the words of the godly or the righteous encourage many, encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. Brothers and sisters, we can have tongues that speak soothing life into people. We can encourage one another because we've been encouraged. We can bless others because we've been blessed. We can share gracefully with others because we've experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. We've been forgiven of our sins. We can forgive others. And it will make a a monumental difference in the words that come out of our mouths if we are every day kneeling before the throne of grace and saying, God, you are a merciful God. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the grace that you've had on me. And the words you watch, the words that will come out of your mouth, it will have impact and life and it will soothe others instead of do damage. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that you would forgive me for the times that my tongue and my words have been used as weapons. Lord, forgive me for the times that I have hurt people, cut people deeply with the words that come out of my mouth. 
God, I pray for each one of us that we would have our foundation firmly planted in you, that we would remember who you are and what you've called us as your children. Lord, I pray that all of us would put our faith completely in you, that you would justify us and that we would sense that. We wouldn't just know it in our heads, but we would feel it in our hearts that we are justified by you. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a group of people that encourages, that soothes with our words, that we wouldn't be afraid, intimidated, scared to go up to one another and speak life into each other. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.